might go a little shorter than that. Oh, I'm not, I'm, wasn't planned. Wasn't, wasn't planning on rushing. Absolutely. Yes, I, the, well, the reason why I'm doing this is because you asked me to. Um, but my name is uh, Jen Deman. You saw me very nervously doing just that thing that Jimmy did. Thank you, Jimmy, for, for doing that. That's, that's, that's a nerve-wracking endeavor right there. Um, I've done Alpha several times through St. Paul's. Um, I also hosted a off-campus Alpha that we held at Sweetwater when Sweetwater was still in Somerville. And uh, now I'm at St. Timothy's uh, with Gary at the church plant in Cane Bay. So uh, Gary's asked me to do this particular talk, which uh, I will say that typically my husband Luke gives this talk. And the reason why he gives this talk is because he had a premonition God guided him, if you will, uh, which is what we're talking about tonight, that uh, he might be asked to give this talk. And so he decided, I need to go ahead and read the whole Bible before I give this talk, because I can't very well stand up here and tell people uh, that they should read the Bible and here's how and why you do it um, without having read the Bible myself. So the day that he, he did get asked, and he had uh, several weeks to sort of prepare for this, and the day that he gave the talk was the day that he finished reading the Bible. I don't know what this means, and maybe Gary can uh, elucidate. God did not guide me any, in any such way, and I actually thought I was giving a different talk up until about last week. So this is a little bit of a shock to me. So I will say, just in interest of full disclosure, I have not actually read the entire Bible, but we will talk about the things in the Bible I have read and some of the funny, hilarious things that uh, went on there. Um, so in your course guides, we're going we're gonna to start with how, why and how should I read the Bible. I'm going to go through those points. I may go a little bit fast through a couple of them because there's a little bit of overlap between this and the next topic, how does God guide us. But I want to start with a little bit of a story about the Bible that happened to me a couple years ago. So my, my grandmother, this is my father's mother, was very, very aged and very, very ill and ended up having to move in with my dad. Uh, and he was her full-time caretaker. So my grandmother, um, feisty is a word often used to describe her. Uh, she's ornery, all those words. She's just very hard to get along with woman. But she um, had a very uh, sort of deep hellfire and brimstone mountain person faith. And she had with her in, in, in the hospital bed that was in my dad's living room, she, she kept next to her bed an old battered King James Version Bible. That's the ye's and the thou's and the verily's and all that jazz. Um, because of, my, I would say, due in part to my grandmother's upbringing of my father, my dad is not on board with organized religion in any way, shape, or form. But I knew it was very important to my grandmother. And so whenever I would come over to sort of relieve my dad, give him a day off or what have you, I would offer to read the Bible to my grandmother. And so I would let her pick. She was had dementia toward, towards the end, and so it was always a very interesting experience what we ended up talking about. But that, I, f I figured that was a nice thing to do for somebody who's on the way out. Um, my grandmother complained, bitterly complained, that dad would not buy her a Bible, her son would not buy her a Bible, and I just can't read this old King James Version anymore because it's too, the print's too small. So I went and bought her a ginormous, I mean, it was like this big, it was huge, about the size of this podium, this gigantic print King James Bible. And I brought it to her, knowing full well that she didn't really have the capability to read it at all. She couldn't really even hold it in her lap. But I thought as a gesture that that would be a good thing. Well, she ended up passing away a few months later, as, you know, was expected. And when my dad finished up with all the funeral arrangements and she was buried in Texas and all of that, he came back. 
I fully expected him to offer me the Bible back since I had been the one to buy it. And he did. So I was hanging out with him at his house, and he said, you know, Grandma never even cracked this Bible open. She barely could read it. Would you like it back? And before I could even say, sure, I'll take it back, he goes, you know, though, it's been a long time since I've actually even looked at the Bible. I don't even know if I have a Bible. Do you mind if I keep it? Never mind. I think I'll keep the Bible to myself. (laughs) Which brings us into kind of what I want to get at with the Bible. The average American household has 6.8 Bibles. And this is not uh, a statistic that is just among Christian households in the United States. This is across everybody. 6.8 Bibles per house. I counted the Bibles that we have. We have 11 Bibles in our house that I know of. Um, I think there may be some hidden ones somewhere as well. I even brought one that I, that I did count. This is a New Testament uh, that my mother, who was Buddhist, by the way, never converted to Christianity. She kept this, and it's, written, it's a New Testament written in English and Japanese. It's the King James Version, English. So that's one of the 11 that we have. Some further context about the Bible. Shakespeare has been translated into about 80 languages. The Bible has been translated into over 2,000. That includes Klingon and Quenya, which is the language spoken by some of the elves in Middle Earth. And for all you nerds out there, that is from the Lord of the Rings. So what makes this so compelling? Why 2,000 languages uh, as opposed to 80 or so for Shakespeare? Why would someone like my dad, who just poo-poos organized religion, want to keep a Bible in his house that he has not shown any interest in reading up until this point in time? Why would my mother, who's a Shinto Buddhist and very anti-Christian, keep, I mean, this thing is super old. This was in our house. I mean, she died when she was 73 years old, so it was with her for a good majority of that time. Why would she keep this? Let's go ahead and open up the Bible. Let's let's dive in. We're going to turn to page 719. This is Matthew 4.4. This is uh, first column. I didn't write where in the first column, though. So when you get there, this is Jesus talking. So Matthew 4, verse 4. 719. First, first column. I wrote it down. I took, a, I did my homework when I figured out what talk I was giving. I did my homework. So this is Jesus talking. This is a very interesting passage. It says, it is written, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we have Jesus himself saying, professing the importance of the Bible, which is interesting because Jesus is also God. So Jesus was really into the Bible as well. We're going to keep coming back to that concept. I just kind of wanted to put that out there and let that marinate for a second. Um, there's a few talking points I want to get to, so just, uh, it, it's in your course guide. We're going to talk about three ways, three things about the Bible. And the first thing is going to be the Bible as the revelation of God. The second thing we're going to talk about is a relationship with God via the Bible. And the uh, third thing we're going to talk about is how do we hear God speak through the Bible. So that's kind of the structure of the Bible portion of the talk. Before I was a Christian, one of the things that I thought about the Bible, and really about any religious text, is that it's a rule book. That's one way that, that I thought about it, and I think that's a very common way that people view it as a rule book. Maybe it's a set of guidelines, merely guidelines. Um, another way to view it is maybe a collection of pithy sayings, something to embroider on a pillow, 
I'm not trying to demean it in any way, but that's, I think, a very common way that people view it is like, oh, well, I don't know what to do about this thing. Let's just open it up to a random page and see. But I want to uh, put forth to you that maybe the Bible is more than that and deeper than that. The Bible is really God's revelation of himself. You don't need to turn to it. I'm going to paraphrase. But there's a portion in Hebrews where the writer says, in the past, God spoke in many and various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. So we are to understand in prior talks, I'm sure this was covered, that Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. But the main way that we know about Jesus is through the written revelation of the Bible. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. A good analogy for something like that is think about creation. God reveals himself through creation, and even the Bible says it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. That's in a psalm. Um, so it's easy, it's easy to be awed by creation. And if we look at creation, we could say, wow, this is somehow a revelation of God. And that is true. But we don't really learn much about God merely by the observation of creation or nature. Another way, flavor of looking at that problem is if I were to look at a painting of Picasso, I would be able to tell you that painting points to the fact that someone painted that. And the person who painted that probably is a masterful painter probably interested in these topics if I am able to observe multiple paintings of Picasso, but I would only be guessing at the nature of Picasso if all I had to look at were his paintings. So I think it's the same with creation as well. That's why the Bible is so important. That's how we know about God. We can look out and we can see and observe, but the main way that we know about God is to study it through the Bible. And this is something maybe you can talk about in your groups. Um, Albert Einstein has a really great quote and it's, it goes like this. A legitimate conflict between science and religion cannot exist. Religion without science is blind, and science without religion is lame. So that kind of ties into the point that I'm trying to make here is that science can be viewed as the exploration of God and, and, and how he has revealed himself through nature and creation, whereas theology or the Bible, the study of the Bible, is the exploration of how God has revealed himself in that, in the Bible itself. So just something to maybe think about in, in terms of that. That was a, an interesting way that it was put to me when I first took Alpha. All right, let's, let's keep flipping in the Bible here. We're going to go to page 882. This is 2 Timothy. We're going to be in the second column, page 882. So this is uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. So this one goes like this. All scripture is God-breathed. Some translations might say inspired, but ours says God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's interesting that word God-breathed, that hyphenated word God-breathed there. Notice it doesn't say God-dictated. And this is the exact, exact transliteration of the Greek word. This isn't some kind of weird way to come at it from English that we don't have a word for. That's the exact transliteration. Oh, sorry. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16. It's 882. 885. Oh, see, this is what happens when you do this at lunch at work. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll read it again. See, I got the second column part right. 885. 316. 2 Timothy 3.16. So all scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the, like I was saying before, the, 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 the phrase there, God breathed, with that hyphen between it, is an exact transliteration of the Greek. It isn't a, a kind of clunky way that we're trying to get at a Greek word that we don't have a word for or anything like that. I think that's interesting because when you read the Bible, when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and all these different things, it becomes very apparent that it is not a single cohesive book. It's not a novel. You're not reading, you know, this isn't Harry Potter or anything like this. It's, it's history. It's poems. It's letters. It's written by kings. It's written by prophets. It's written by fishermen. It's written by doctors. It's 100% the work of human beings, very human in its, in its, in its breadth. But it's also 100% inspired by God as well. A good analogy to sort of wrap your mind around how this can be, how can something be 100% the work of humans, but also 100% the work of God, is that think about a great building. Think about something like that. Every great building has an architect. The, the example I put down here is that St. Paul's Cathedral was started in 1676, and the architect was a man named Christopher Wren. He started it when he was uh, 44 years old and worked on it for 35 years until he was 79. When it was completed, he obviously gets credit for it, right? He, he's the person that put together the plans that said, this is how we're going to lay the foundation. This is what's possible. This is what I want it to look like. But there were others involved. There were masons. There were, I don't know anything about buildings, people that do foundations. <laughs> um, I don't know, like uh, gargoyle makers, things, things like that, where all of these people came together and looked at the plans and the inspiration of Christopher Wren and put together this building. That's one way that we can look at how the Bible was authored. So just a minute ago, we're going to move into the second point here about relationship with God via the Bible. A minute ago, I said that it's very common to think of the Bible as a list of rules or guidelines or some collection of sayings or things that, you know, you can kind of pick out of context. But what did Jesus himself actually say about Scripture? We know that earlier in, in, in the Matthew passage that he quoted Scripture, um, and he quotes it quite often when he talks. But this is what he says himself. Um, if you would like to turn to it, uh, no, no pressure. This is on uh, page 793. It's uh, John chapter 5. Hopefully I got the page number right there. This is the second column. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Um, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Now this is Jesus talking, so when he says me, that means Jesus. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. I like to talk in analogies. It's hard sometimes to wrap your mind around these big things that Jesus says, but the best example I could think of is my husband's name is Luke. Let's say Luke had a blog. He does not, but if he did. Um, he has this blog, and I have two options at that point. I could either hang out with Luke, get to know him that way, or I can read his blog. How strange would it be if I chose to only get to know Luke by reading his blog and then just never talking to him again? That would be very odd indeed. Um, so what does this mean actually logistically for us that, that God has revealed himself in this Bible? Relationships aren't one way. So if I read something in this hypothetical blog of Luke's that I don't understand or that I don't like or that upsets me or just puzzles me, I don't have to simply accept it or reject it. I can, have, I can ask Luke myself. I have access to him. So I can say, hey, this thing you wrote, I don't understand what you're talking about. 
It's the same with God. If we read something in the Bible, it isn't necessarily just, oh, well, you don't get it, then never mind. What God is inviting us to do is talk to him about it, wrestle with it, ask him about it, ask others about it. That's what, that's how this relationship is built. It's not just a one-way street where God is handing all this and just dumping it in your lap and you have to make heads or tails of it yourself. So given that this is a method by which God tries to build a relationship with us, how do we hear God speak through the Bible? It kind of begs the question of if you've heard God speak to you. Some of you have, some of you may not have, some of you may think this is all very strange. Um, I think the, the biggest piece of guidance or advice that I can give is that relationships take time. So if you're going to have a relationship with God, and the Bible is, is, a, is a means to that relationship, then you have to set aside time to read the Bible. It's daunting. I'm going to get into a personal story about how daunting that is in a second. Um, but it's, you know, 15 minutes a day that you can get an app on your phone that reminds you to say, hey, you know, during my lunch break, maybe I can read a little bit here and there. There's year-long Bibles. Um, I would say maybe in your groups you can talk about some of the ways that you have uh, tried to read the Bible in the past. Um, just a real quick story about God speaking to me through the Bible. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this a little bit. So one year, I decided that I was going to read the Bible. I was going to do it, and I was going to like it. Cover to cover, I'm going to do it. And one way that God talks to me, and I don't mean this, sometimes people mean this sarcastically, and I wholeheartedly believe this, God speaks to me through my sense of humor. He makes jokes to me that only I would get, and he makes me laugh all the time in a good way. I don't mean that in sort of like, oh, God has a sense of humor. It's not like that at all. God's really funny. And so I, I, I was like, I'm going to do it. And brought the Bible that I was going to read. This thing is like a big honking. This is a very dry translation of the Bible. It's super boring, you guys. So I prepared myself to be floored by revelations and insights and things I'd never heard before. I'm like, it's going to happen. I did pretty good through the first five books of the Bible. Got through it. That's like Genesis and all kinds of things like that. Don't remember much about the next few books of the Bible. I'm sorry. I should probably have refreshed my memory. But then I found myself in First Chronicles. And spoiler alert, First Chronicles, really a slog. So I'm going to just read like two seconds of First Chronicles for you. This is chapter one of First Chronicles from my very dry translation. <clears throat> Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan. Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And it goes on like that for a good 10 pages in this big honking Bible. So I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this, oh gosh, I am so bored. This is the most boring thing I've ever done. I don't care about any of these people. I don't know what any of this means. Why are these people, why is there this big list of people? And, um, of course, remember, I was preparing myself to be floored by insight and all of those things, and here I am in this slog. And God kind of spoke to me in this still, small voice and said, the reason these names are here is because people matter. And these individual people mattered to me, and I put them in a book. And that means that you also matter to me. And I knew all these people like I know you, and I knew, I know everybody, and they all should be in here. And I thought, well, there's my insight right there. All right, so we're going to move on to the next topic. Next topic is, in your course guide, how does God guide us? Um, I have to start with another story on this one. I don't know how much Gary has talked about the food distribution we're doing over at St. Timothy's, but at the new church plant over in Monk's Corner, Cane Bay, that area, 
Uh, we, we started up a food distribution. I want to tell you the short version of how that all came to be. So the leadership team, which is uh, I'm, I'm part of, and there's a couple other families that are part of, we had been praying for direction. We had been praying for what are we supposed to do in the community? What is our purpose here? And what is our church, church going to look like? And how are we going to serve the community that's around us? And I had personally been um, thinking about Matthew 25. Um, I don't think I have time to read it right now. But um, I had just been thinking about feeding the poor and all of these things. I was in the parking lot of, uh, of the church one day getting ready, and I was nervous. I had to play that, that, that day, and I was trying to get Oscar out of the car seat, and I hear a van pull up next to me. And um, I popped my head up, and it was somebody I didn't recognize. And I thought, oh, a new, new person. She rolled down her window, and she said, do you guys do food distribution? And I said, no, no, we just got started, but do you need food right now? Because if you do, let's, let's solve that problem first. And she said, no, 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 it's just that there's a lot of people around here who need food, and they don't have cars, they can't get to, you know, St. Paul's, or they can't get to Charleston, to the food bank, whatever. And it's just that's really what this community needs, like really bad. We just need a food distribution. So I told Gary, we told the leadership team, and we took it to the congregation of the church that we are that, that lets us use their space. So St. Paul's Reformed Episcopal Church is the church that we kind of share. And so within a month, we had our food distribution. The reason that I told you that story is because I think that kind of encapsulates all the ways in which God guides us. In the course guide, everything starts with a C. It's, uh, the, there's five ways that God guides us, and they are uh, commanding scripture, compelling spirit, common sense, council of saints, that's real fancy, and circumstantial signs. So I'm going to blaze through these five things. The first talking point, um, commanding scripture, it's a little bit of a repeat of some of the things that I've already talked about. So I want to just bring up one point about scripture as a, as a tool for guidance is that we are to be in relationship like I established earlier. What Jesus wants primarily, what God wants primarily, is for us to be in relationship with him I think it's easy to fall into a trap of looking at the Bible and saying, well, I have to do all of these things in order to garner favor with God. The Bible says these are the things that I do. You put the cart before the horse and do those things, but don't actually have a relationship with God. I know that's a lot of, a lot of stuff in just a little, couple of little sentences, but that's the, that's the one thing that I wanted to sort of harp on that's in your uh, course guide there. I think the rest of it, though, is good, good group talk. The second point here is compelling spirit. Um, no need to turn to it, but there's a, there's a little quote. This is Paul speaking in Acts. He says, and now, compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. So who is this spirit exactly? I don't want to spoil any of Gary's talk. We're gonna, you guys are going to talk about the Holy Spirit quite a lot this weekend and who that is and how that all relates to everything. But... Um, just to give you a little bit of a preview about what the Spirit is, uh, this, is John, this is Jesus talking in John. No need to turn to it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So God desires a relationship with us. The same goes for the Holy Spirit. As you go through the Holy Spirit weekend, you'll learn more about what the Holy Spirit sounds like, I'm going to put that in finger quotes because it's not often words, and how that relates into your life. Um, 
I feel like in the story that I told about the food distribution, the Holy Spirit really was present whenever I didn't just cut and run when that lady uh, drove up to the van. That would, I am not a good one-on-one -on -one talker with the, as the people that I sit at dinner with tonight could attest. I don't know how to interface with people one-on-one. -on -one. So when I saw this lady come up, the Holy Spirit, I remember distinctly being, being told, it's okay, you don't need to be afraid, you're fine. Just listen to what she has to say. The third thing that I want to commend to you is uh, common sense as a way that God guides us. This is a little bit odd. Sometimes Christians, I think, have a hippy-dippy sort of uh, reputation for just, like, throwing our brains right in the garbage. And I don't think that that's, that's really accurate. Theologian named John Stott has a really great quote that sort of talks about this. It says, Although our conscience reflects our upbringing and culture and is therefore fallible, Nevertheless, it remains a guard within us, warning us that there's a difference between right and wrong. In 1 Corinthians, which uh, is one of my lately favorite uh, letters in the Bible, Paul is writing to a church that's just having a hard time. And again, no need to turn to this, but he says to them in one, at one point, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. I know I've cherry-picked this um, out of, of the Bible, so there's a lot of context here about what's happening in this church that Paul's writing to, but I think the thrust of 1 Corinthians and the thrust of this particular quote from 1 Corinthians is Paul is really saying, slow your roll, consider the facts, consider what, what's going on, learn how to integrate God into your life, and exercise common sense a little bit. Um, I think in conjunction with prayer and with the Bible, and with the Holy Spirit, common sense is, is indispensable as well. Um, and two, I know that this is a lot, but I just want to urge you, this is something that, that God did put on my heart to say, was sometimes we're going to pray about it and talk to people about it, and we're going to really read the Bible, and we're still going to make the wrong decision. It happens, and it sucks, and I wish I could say that, that, that it didn't happen. But what you can be assured of is even if that does happen, God is there to pick up to pick you up after that. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to really consider something. Life's complicated. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, but just know that that's the assurance and the hope that we have, is even if we mess something up, he'll be there to, to help, help us pick up. All right, last two bits right here is uh, the Council of Saints and Circumstantial Signs. These are two other ways that God will talk to us. Um, the Council of Saints is really just fancy talk for other Christians, other trusted, noted Christians. In my particular council of saints um, is uh, Gary and Sue. I, I talk to them quite often about things that I might be going through as people who are much more mature in their faith than me and know more about God and know God, have known God for a lot longer. Um, Luke, my husband, is in my council of saints. A lot of folks at St. Paul's are in my council of saints, as it were. So, so you don't have to figure all this out on your own. If you're stuck there's somebody to ask, and they'll help you, help guide you through it. Last talking point is circumstantial signs. This is a tough one, because it is a very real way in which God um, guides us, but it also can be a way that we can fall down a rabbit hole. Um, there is a psalm, no need to turn to it, that says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. As far as the food distribution story goes, we had all been praying about it. We had all been talking about it. We'd been reading the Bible, and we had been waiting for a sign from God, and God provided that sign. 
It didn't come out of the clear blue sky insofar as we knew to look for it because we had asked God for one. Um, I can't say that God will always respond with a sign, but I do think that to have that awareness there that perhaps there's something nudging you in a direction, something external that'll say, hey, turn your course a little bit one way or another, that's, some, that's a real way in which the Lord um, will, will communicate with us. <laughs> What's funny is at the end of my talk here, I wrote in my own handwriting, how to end. And I don't have any like good pithy story for you guys. I had to cover a lot of stuff all at once. So I would just say, go back to your groups and talk about reading the Bible and your experiences with it. Talk about maybe ways in which you feel God has talked to you or otherwise communicated with you. Um, get started on some, some, of, some of that thinking. I think that'll really elucidate and illuminate some of what we talked about today. Thank you guys very much. I went just a few minutes over my time, but thank you nevertheless. <laughs>